Good morning, church. Welcome. Uh, I am Dwayne Carson. For you that are visiting, we welcome you. I'm one of the pastors here for you that are watching online. And it is a joy today to open God's Word with you where we are in the book of Romans. We're now in that practical section, chapter 12 and through 16. And we're talking about the art of being unordinary. Unordinary. So different, it's apparent. Unordinary. Now, if you have your Bibles today, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, for the seasoned believers in this room, and there are a number of you, you've got 20, 30, 40 50 years of walking with the Lord under your belt. I, I, I know Rob and Jan, they've been married 62 years. So you may have 60 or 70 years walking with the Lord. When you hear Romans 12, you know that's one of the chief cornerstones of our Bible. So for you that may be getting started with your walk with the Lord, I'm going to make a bold statement. I believe when it comes to living the Christian life, the number one chapter to turn to and study is Romans 12. When I'm at liberty, we will have these VW theological discussions. What's the greatest? And we would talk through, if you only have one chapter, one, to live the Christian life, what chapter would it be? Now, hear me, the Christian life, if it's not a Christian, we want to go to John 3. But if it's a Christian, Colossians 3, oh, it's loaded. Now that you're in Christ, put to death, put off, put on. I love Colossians 3. But as I've been back looking at Romans 12 for this message, Jeff, I can't help but say Romans 12 is the be-all of the chapters of chapters for how to live the Christian life. For you who are Christian counselors over here for the camp, as you're as young, I'm telling you, get to know Romans 12. This chapter is so rich. I mean, when you think about Romans 12 from the seasoned ones, watch this. Most of them have Bibles somewhere in their home now that look like this. Back in the 70s and the 80s, we would have markers. And as we're reading our Bibles, we're marking and we're underlining and we're circling VW. And you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, that's familiar. And, and the red one right there, baby, what is transformed. When a person gets saved, they present themselves to the Lord, and then by the renewing of their mind, they're going to be transformed. What a big word. They're going to be changed. They're going to become different. You're going to become so different as a believer that transformation will happen in your life 
to the point that you will be totally unrecognizable by those in your past. I go to my 10th class, high school class reunion, and I can tell I don't seem to be the same. And then the lady in charge said, I want to ask Dwayne Carson to come up and open us in prayer tonight and pray for our meal. And there was an audible gasp in the room. Who's coming to pray? And I got up there and I said, I can tell by the response, uh, you need to know after high school, I got saved. And it was apparent I was different than my classmates. When you start growing in the Lord, you're going to be changed. How much so? Well, watch this. That's the idea of transformation. The word is metamorphosis. It's what we use for a, a caterpillar. And, and, and I knew some of you. When I, this is one of the most beautiful cat, uh, butterflies in the world. But if you can see, and I didn't want to shock you, but that's one of the ugliest caterpillars you'll ever see. And what I Googled was, I want to know what's the ugliest caterpillar to become the most beautiful butterfly, and that's one ugly dude. But when you look at that caterpillar, you got to go, that's not what he was meant to be. And when we look at the center, that's not what we're meant to be. We're supposed to be changed and turned into something beautiful. That's transformation. Now, I got a question. How have you changed? Oh, you're ready to tell me about when you got saved lately. See, you haven't become that butterfly. You're in process. There's a progression that's taking place. So you're not complete yet. You're not perfect. But here's the question. How have you changed lately? You are changing, aren't you? You are becoming more like him. Other people should be able to say, you know, you're a little bit more like Christ than you were two weeks ago. I'm seeing something different in you. Now, when we come to Romans 12, the reason we love coming to Romans 12 is because Romans 12 teaches us how to live our new life. We've made a transition from we were lost to we are now able to be saved, justification, and then there's sanctification to now here comes a new therefore in chapter 12 verse 1 of here's what we're going to do now that we're saved. What are we going to do now that we're saved? Romans 12 is so important. We put in your hands today a handout that has on the front side Romans 12, 1 through 21. On the back will be what we'll speak on, 9 through 21. We'll look at those bullet points. But I wanted to take time this morning, Pastor Rick. Let's read the entire chapter. Let's get the feel of, Ro of Paul's writing this great chapter, not just to the Romans in Rome, but to us right now. Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible, if you have that handout, beautiful, powerful, challenging, instructive words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, Pastor Rick, a couple weeks ago, he said the renewed mind causes believers to think differently about himself or herself. You, if you're saved and you're being transformed, you don't think the way you used to think about yourself. There's a spirit of humility that has come into your life that is noticeable. Paul then goes on to say, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us for words. Let us use them. Wow. You've been given a gift. Now use the gift, put it into action, and in case you're wondering what the gifts are, he then writes, we have prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does not act, the, the one who does act of acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Seven spiritual gifts of which every one of us have at least one of them as our primary gift that we're to be using to minister to one another. And Pastor Rick said the renewed mind causes believers to think differently about his or her function in the the local church. I need you. You need me. We need each other putting our spiritual gifts into action with each other. Then he comes to verse 9. Transition is going to take place now. He's going to start laying out for us a whole list of things to do that will make us different. And he says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, let that sink in, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And when you get to the end of that last statement, it's like, whew, wow, that was a fire hydrant. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has just unloaded on us. Don't blame me, I'm just the messenger. Wow, what a chapter filled with bullet points of how we are to live so that we can do our purpose. And what is our purpose? Well, some would say, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. I like to say our new purpose is to please God. To please God. Paul appeals to us now that we're Christians to please God, to do that which is pleasing to him. And I can give a whole list of verses in which Paul says we are to live worthy. We're to live pleasing. He will even say, I make it my aim to please the Lord. So if your aim this morning is the purpose of God, it's to please him, to do those things that are pleasing. So we're going to lay out for you these bullet points that when done will make us different. And when done, we're going to be doing those things that please God. Now, as we look at this, as we look at this, and you can go to the back page now, flip it over to those bullet points, Paul's going to say some things in these verses that get very personal. He's also going to say, do some things that impact our family, the church, the one another's. Then he's going to say, I want you to do some things for people who are outside of the church. See how the circle is enlarging? It starts with me. It reaches out to you. Now we're going outside. But he even is going to go so far in this chapter, how do you respond to your enemies? And it is incredibly different than what we have been taught to do. So we're going to expand our reach today as believers. So we're going to start out right off the bat with him speaking to us personally. And he just jumps right in and he says, let your love be genuine. And it is all about love. It is all about love. The difference of a Christian, Jesus said, people will know that you're my disciples by your haircut by the clothes you wear, 
by the places you go. Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciple by your love for one another. And Paul says, I want you to now that you're a believer. You've presented yourself to the Lord. You're his living sacrifice, a vessel for honor. I want you to love, and I want that love to be genuine. Opposite fake, just going through the motion. It needs to be real. It needs to be authentic. All right, I told some people, put on steel-toe shoes today. I love you. I just don't like you. That doesn't work, folks, as a believer. That's got to go. You can't have that kind of conditional love as a believer. That's not genuine, true love. Now, he says, with love being at the forefront, real love, I need you to do something else. You're going to need to decide to abhor evil. To abhor evil. Oh, I, I, Rick, I, I think right now some of their minds just went to the news. And there's stuff going on all over the world. Some of it going on right here in Winston-Salem. And you're going, oh, I, I can't stand that evil. He's personal right now, folks. He ain't talking about what's going on outside. He's talking about what's going on in your heart. Do you abhor the evil in your own life? Abhor. You hate it. You don't tolerate it. You can't stand it. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and he said to the believer, abstain from all forms of evil. Are you abstaining from all forms of evil? I mean, if you're a believer today, if you love the Lord, you fear the Lord, here's what Proverbs 8, 13 says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Do you see how personal that is? It's not about someone else's life, it's about your life. Uh, the things that you're going, I hate. Now, we remember Romans 7, there are things that we hate we end up doing. Paul's calling us back to, I need you to get a hatred for the evil in your own life that it will get out of your life. You know, when it comes to not wanting to do evil, you need to make sure you're not being influenced to do evil. In Psalms 15, 4, the man of integrity, young people, Psalms 15, it's one of those psalms you need to have memorized. It's the psalm of integrity. The man of integrity, his eyes, in his eyes, an evil person is despised. But he honors those who fear him. Now, for some of you middle-aged in here, um, my testimony is, my high school, early 20s hero was John Belushi. What? John Belushi? Animal House. That's what I wanted. I wanted to live that life of, I don't care, let's just go have a party. Have fun. Animal House. John Belushi. I also liked, um, who were the good old boys? 
Y'all don't want to tell me, do you? Had that car, and they're racing. They're just having fun. That's me. I get the, oh, someone said it, the Dukes of Hazard. Oh, yeah. Listen, I got saved, and I realized those guys can't be my heroes. I can tell a whole lot about a person by what they laugh about and who their heroes are. If you're going to abhor evil, there's people you can't be looking up to anymore. So Paul says, abhor evil, but watch this. He now flips the coin. You hold fast, cleave to what is good. Instead of doing evil and loving evil, you hate evil, and now you cleave to the Greek word literally means to be glued to good. To be glued to the good. I want to do good. I want to do that which is pleasing to God. Now, there's a verse here, Amos 5.15, that tells us, hate evil, love good. Hate evil, love good. And we came up with a statement from this, didn't we? Hate the sin, love the sinner. Hate the sin, love the sinner. I hate evil. Not because of the consequences, but because it is so offensive to God. I love doing good because when I'm doing good, I'm acting like God. I'm pursuing godliness. So I'm going to be so glued to good that evil can't have anything to do in my life. All right? Now, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Isn't that sweet? Love one another with brotherly affection. My sisters don't know what that means because they didn't experience that when we were growing up. I was brother agitator and brother um, afflictor and all kind of other words that I shouldn't say that they would describe me on. But Paul says... And notice he's now switched from the personal. He says, I want you to love one another. And it's a love that is, in your notes, I used the word Philadelphia. Philo, love, brothers. You're to look at each other in this room with such a love that it's your brother. And here's what we do move to. You can pick on somebody, but you better not pick on my sisters. I'll pick on them, but you pick on them. I'm going to defend them. I'm not going to put up with you hurting my brother or my sister. We look out for each other. We have each other's back. Now, loving one another is easy to say, tell the truth. It's hard to do. So I don't know when I came up with this statement. I wrote this down in my notes years ago. The time a person needs love the most is when they deserve it the least. Now that takes you to the level of loving like Jesus. Because when did he love you? 
Aren't you glad you didn't have to clean your life up for him to start loving you? He loved you when you were the worst, the vilest, the wickedest, the ungodly, unrighteous, when you were the filthiest. He loved you. And now my love for my brother is to be at the same level. When you're at your worst, my love ought to be at my best for you. That's different. And then he says this. And it's like, Paul, you've got to be kidding me. It's hard enough you told me to love them. Now you're telling me, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor and giving preference. That idea is, <clears throat> you go first. Did you show up in church today with the hope that you were going to see someone and say, hey, you go first? You go first. I think of you as better. I want you to have things that are better. Selfishness is being crucified in Romans 12. Narcissism is being crucified in Romans 12. You're thinking about others, and you want them to have things that are better. Paul writes to the Philippians, and he said, esteem others better. Better. Wow. Life is changing. Verse 11. Yes, every bullet point is a sermon that I can't preach. Verse 11. You are not to be slothful in zeal. What does that mean? It means not lagging in diligence. One version says, never be lazy, but work hard. Never be lazy, but work hard. Paul now addresses your work ethic. And a Christian does have a work ethic. We are known for being people who are workers. You can't read your Bible and not be convicted when you see if you're lazy. You're going to be convicted. You go to Proverbs and you will see how appalled God is toward laziness. He can't stand it. Paul is so against laziness, he makes a statement, if you don't work, you don't eat. Ooh, that's tough. Now, we're going to be workers. We're not going to be lazy. We're going to be diligent. Not only in the work outside the church where you're supposed to give a great testimony but we're going to be working here in the church we're not going to be lazy as believers in our church and then he says this fervent in spirit the idea there is you're full of enthusiasm in other words Caleb we're on fire for God we're alive we're on fire for God. Are you on fire for God? Did you come in here this week, uh, from this week, and people have said to you, I believe you're an on fire for God Christian. Are you on fire for the things of the Lord? Do those things excite you? Are you serving the Lord with a tremendous enthusiasm? And that is this next statement, serving the Lord. You serve the Lord. Now, by I, I don't know why the Holy Spirit did this, but I would have had served the Lord first. But he starts off with, I don't want you to be lazy. I don't want you to be apathetic. I want you serving the Lord. And in serving the Lord, I can't help but think of Joshua 24. 
Joshua said in verse 15, as for me and my house, we will, y'all know that verse, serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. Now, let's hit a real quick personal note here. Survey after survey after survey reveals that 80% of the work done in the church is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the work done in a church is done by 80% of the, by 20% of the people. I was, not in the, I was in a conference not long ago, and they said it's changed. It's now 85% of the work in a church is being done by 15% of the people. Wow. We like to sit. We're not that interested in serving. And Paul has said, serve. Serve the Lord. Oh, you might want to grab that uh, bulletin, and there's that, that QR code to sign up for the work day. We, we could pause right now, couldn't we? Smitty, sign up. We got a work day, Rick, on the 29th. Serve the Lord. Now, he continues on, one bullet point after another, boom. You will need to rejoice in hope. Why does that follow? Why did he go from serve the Lord to rejoice in hope? Because if you're serving the Lord, you're going to have opposition. If you and the devil are not having a head-on collision, then you and the devil must be going in the same way. Anyone serving the Lord is going to find resistance from the evil one. You're going to have opposition. You're going to face discouragement. You're going to face failure. People are not going to always respond. It's going to be difficult. And Paul says, rejoice in hope. What hope? Well, number one, the hope that it's going to get better because you know Oh, you know it's going to get better. What's our future looking like? Heaven. It's going to get a lot better, folks. You can't threaten me with dying. Want to kill me and put me in the presence of the Lord? Fine. I'm going to heaven. It's going to get better. And there's rewards in heaven. You even get rewarded for being persecuted. So, so it's going to get better. But watch this. What's your hope when you're sharing the gospel? That his word will not return void. I didn't get saved the first time someone witnessed to me. I didn't change my life the first time someone said to me, hey, you got you to gotta make some changes. There were people that uh, had a hope, though, that as they showed love, as they shared Scripture, that it was going to bring about a change. So you've got to have that mindset as you're serving. While there may not be the instant change, it will come. It will come. You're, you're rejoicing in, I have a hope God will work. And then he says this, you're going to need to be patient in tribulation. Patient to remain to stay in there, to not quit, to not give up. Yes, it's difficult. Tribulation, it's not going well. We're doing all this work. It doesn't seem to be making a difference. And people are against us, and I get attacked. Oh. Those Liberty students, back in the late 70s, some of them could give testimony about what it was like to witness to Dwayne Carson. All right, I'm going to tell you. 
I went to McDonald's one night to go to the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom. And some Liberty student comes up to me and starts witnessing to me. Well, I'm going to the bathroom. Smitty, I told him he needed to leave or else he was going to get baptized. <laughs> Patience and then tribulation. Some people are going to be mean to you when you're trying to be nice to them. Here's what this word means when it comes to patience. It really means endurance. Endurance. It's a missing word today. It means not giving up. How did Paul tell us to run the race? Run the race with endurance. That we stay in there. No matter how many walls we hit, we don't give up, we don't quit. So as I looked at Romans 12, 11, and 12, I put this statement together. There needs to be enthusiasm in serving the Lord. And there will need to be endurance in serving the Lord. There ought to be an excitement about serving God, but you can't just have excitement. You've got to have endurance. When the game starts, yes, there's excitement. Wow, here we go. You can't win games off of excitement. There's going to have to be endurance. And for some of us, that needs to be put on our resume. We didn't give up when it got tough. Now, Paul, it's tough. You're telling me not to quit. I need some help. Next statement. You'll need to be constant in prayer. Isn't that good? After Paul tells me to keep at it, be patient and tribulate, he says, by the way, keep praying. Guess what, folks? We're not doing anything by ourselves. If you're one of God's children serving him, he has promised that he will be with you. I am with you. I am with you. I'm always with you. I am with you. You're never going to be in anything by yourself. There's always someone in the fire with you. There's always someone in the water with you. No matter what you're facing, you have the Lord with you. You don't have to come to church to pray. Paul told the Philippians, told, told the Colossians, he told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. No matter what you're doing, you can be shooting prayers up just like Nehemiah. He's standing before the king, boom, shoots a prayer up. He's facing opposition. He says, Lord, strengthen my hand. You know, you don't have to pray a lot to have prayed a lot. Lord, strengthen my hand. Lord, strengthen my hand. Counselors, you're over there, you're working. Oh, this one's tough. Lord, strengthen my hand. Lord, strengthen my hand. Be constant in prayer. Now, Paul... Moving on. I mean, he's got a lot here. He now says, you will need to contribute to the needs of the saints. You'll need to contribute to the needs of the saints. To contribute, to look, to see the need. That's the word. When we look at this word in the Greek, it really has the idea of koinia, fellowship. We come to fellowship, Rick, I agree with you on your opening this morning, but now I take a, a little angle on that. We didn't come this morning to look at one another. You said something like that, we don't come to see each other. 
we do, we do come to see one another. When you walked in here today, yes, to worship, but there's also a point where you should be looking and going, oh, I wonder who has a need. I wonder who has a need. Contribute to the needs of the, what was the word? Saints. Who is to the saints? That's you. That's, that's not the New Orleans football team. Saints. We're the saints. And you're to be looking, and watch this, you're to look and see the need and ask to meet it. Most of us are waiting for someone to ask us. Paul takes the believer to this level with that word contribute, that you're looking to see what someone needs, and then you ask, how can I help? What can I do? When I'm in Dallas as a student, my first year there, uh, you've heard the phrase, poor than Job's turkey. Well, that was me. Now, I didn't know God was providing. I didn't have any outstanding bills. I was able to pay my bills, but I didn't have anything. And one night, I'm, I'm serving at a dinner, and uh, they're having this function at First Dallas, and uh, I served as a waiter because that means I got a good meal. And, and one of the pastors said, hey, Dwayne, you look about the same size as me. You could use some nicer clothes. Go over and get some clothes. He told me where to go get some clothes. I had a lady come to me, and she said, my husband and I want to talk with you. And they invited me to leave, to leave my uh, apartment that had no furniture and come and live at their home. She was like the Shunammite woman who wanted to help the prophet Elisha. She had that burden. She saw me. I never told anybody. I, I was, all I knew is I was not in debt. I had all the money I needed. I just didn't have any extra. But she said, he doesn't even have a sofa. He doesn't have a chair. He doesn't even have a bed. And that's the truth. I was just sleeping on a mattress on the floor. But they asked, they saw the need, and they asked if they could help. That's contributing to the needs of the saints. Some of you, it's not financial today. Some of you walked in here, and you know what you need? You need a word of encouragement. And if you're paying attention this morning, if you walked in here and you are seeing one another in that sense of, I wonder what they need. I wonder what I could say to them. I wonder how I could help them. Now you're doing the activities that's totally different because you're not looking out for you. You're looking out for somebody else. How can I help you? How can I help you? And then Paul says... Seek to show hospitality. Peter says this also, 1 Peter 4, 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So at Liberty, I created things that were called Dwayneisms. And one of the great Dwayneisms was be hospitable, not hostile. We had college for a weekend. We had visitors showing up almost all the time. And when visitors show up, Oh, oh, I hate visitors. Uh, we can't grow if we don't have visitors. So I created be hospitable, not hostile. Now, VW, you said part of our job right now in this season is getting ourselves prepared for our new pastor. So I'm going to prepare us this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen of Salem Baptist Church, if you are a believer 
if you are a member of this church, we are all greeters. Say that with me. We are all We are all Carl, do you agree with that? I see the head shaking. We're all greeters. Our summer allows us, has, has us all over the place. I go to different churches. You know, I went into a church not long ago and nobody said hello to me. They were called Friendly Baptist Church. Only one problem. The pastor got a note from somebody else that was sitting next to me wanting to know why I was so unfriendly. Hmm. Yeah. You see, if you didn't say hello to somebody this morning, if no one said hello to you this morning, that may mean you didn't say hello to anyone. We're all greeters, folks. We are all greeters. And when you see each other, we're supposed to be greeting one another, Carl Deaton, with a... You're on, Carl. He's trying to stay away. Carl loves to give holy kisses. And I can't stand them. But it's five times in the Bible it says we're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. Elbow, that's still better. Just elbow each other. Greet one another. Folks, we're not going to be the church God wants us to be, and we're not going to be the Christian God wants us to be unless we're hospitable to one another. You can't hate greeters. You can't hate visitors. There's got to be a pursuing. That's what the word seek means, to pursue hospitality, to love the stranger. To pursue loving the stranger is what this verse means. And then Paul says... Oh, um, we need a warning right now. This one's going to get tough. Bless those who persecute you. Mm. Ouch. What? What? Bless those who persecute you know, I don't have to make commentary on this, Jeff. I don't need to make commentary. You know why? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Donnie, made commentary. Bless and do not curse them. Wow. That's different. You're not going to curse the person that just cursed you. You're not going to wish bad on the person who just wished bad on you. You're not going to hurt the person who just hurt you. And then he says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And guess what? He didn't change the word. He said, bless those, and now he says, rejoice with those. That's highlighted in your notes. They're the same people. The people that are persecuting you are the those and you're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. You're now acting big time different. Someone who's been hurting you has a victory, and you 
rejoice. I illustrate it this way. Brandon here knows, without question, Dwayne Carson cannot stand a certain baseball team. And that baseball team is, Brandon, the Braves. I can't stand them. I can't stand them. But my maturity, and believe me, it has taken a long time to get here. My maturity is I'm going to rejoice when the Braves do well because of the team and their fans. Because it's bigger than just my Dodgers. I can rejoice when someone is excelling. Can you rejoice when someone that you think is the enemy is excelling? Oh, we got hit with the, in a pastor's conference one time. All right, preachers, when you hear that another preacher is growing and their church is growing, they're having baptisms, do you celebrate it or do you become jealous? That's what he's saying here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You're not becoming jealous when they are doing well. And then he says, weep with those who weep. And guess what? Now the person that's been persecuting you is having a bad time. And you know what we want to do? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. No, 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 no. The person who's been hurting you is now hurting, and now you go help. And now the love of Christ is coming out. Why would you help someone who hurt you? That's the question. Why would you do that? You're living big time different now. And then he says, live in harmony with one another. Now, the debate is, is he saying this for all people or is this for the believers? The idea is, though, get on the same page because we're all equal. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all sinners in need of the gospel, live in harmony, same page, working together. When these musicians are up here, they're playing different instruments. They're all individual, but they've got to be on the same page, playing the same song. And you and I as believers have got to be on the same page. We're different. I think different than you do. I like the Dodgers. He likes the Braves. We have different teams. We have different likes. But one thing for us that brings us all together, that unifying factor is the Lord Jesus Christ. When the ladies were had a fight in Philippians, Paul said, help those women get along in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, Paul says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Yikes. You know what that means? Say hello to everybody. Say hello to everybody. I had a work study, walked to my office one day. He said, Dwayne, I got a question for you. What's the name of the janitor who cleans your office? I'm the campus pastor of Liberty. I host the chapel speakers. Why are you asking me what's the name of the janitor? Well, here's the story on that. I didn't know because at one point when I was in Dallas to pay my bills, I was a janitor. And one day... I was made to feel that small by a person. He's nothing but a janitor. 
I said, I don't, I don't want to ever make people feel small. I don't want to ever make people feel small. And if I have any influence to help somebody, I want to help them. I'm not looking for them to help me. I'm looking to help them. Don't be haughty in your own eyes. Associate with the lowly. And then he says, never be wise in your own sight. This is keeping you humble. Because you know what, folks? You're going to need a whole lot of information on the, road to, on the road of life. And it's surprising who can bring that information to you. And if you'll stay humble, some of those that you never would have thought can say the most wisest things. And then he says this, and it's not getting easier. Repay no one evil for evil. What? Wait a minute. Here's how I was raised. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but tell me if this is not true. I was raised this way. If someone does you wrong, do not get mad. Get even. And the Apostle Paul flies right in our face. Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to repay evil with evil. Matter of fact, what I want you to do is give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. I'm coaching Little League Baseball. It's a level where when the ball is thrown for the third strike, Brandon, if it's dropped, you can run to first base. If you're the batter, the catcher's got to get the ball up, tag you, or throw to first. Okay, drop third strike is not an out unless the batter is tagged. My son catches the ball, drops it as umpire calls strike three. He picks the ball up, he walks over toward the batter, and he tags him like he's been taught. The batter turns around, takes his bat, and starts hitting my son. I'm standing in the doorway of the dugout, and I'm watching my son being hammered on by this kid with his baseball bat on his arm. I rush out as I'm rushing out. I kid you not, it's one of those weird, weird moments, but this is what it was. I heard, don't forget you're a Christian. Because watching my son get hit by the opponent and his arms being beat on and could be broken, I, I, I got my son away. The other coach grabbed his son. And I looked at the coach, it was his son, and I said, is he okay? To this day, I don't know how I said it, why I said it, but that night, parents were talking about how in the world did our coach not explode because of Romans 12, 17. Other people are watching how I respond, and other people are watching how you respond when people treat you bad. So now he says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. You know, it's your choice. A man is losing his temper. He's angry. And Proverbs 15, 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. You can choose the tone of your voice. You can choose not to say something. You can choose to walk away. We can lower the temperature. And then Paul says, beloved, isn't that good? After all this he's been doing, he, he realizes, I'm dumping a lot on you. And you're probably going, whew, this is a lot, beloved. Hey, beloved. Hey, believer. Believer. Okay, we're going to be different. We're going to be different. Never avenge yourself, 
but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. What? What? Yeah. Jesus said the same thing. Do nice things to mean people. Do nice things to mean people. Now, I know you're looking at the rest of the verse. You want to know, what does that mean? So, so, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Rick said he'll be up here at the end of the service to tell every one of you what that means. I don't know. Because the people I read after, they don't know. I got all kind of conflicting answers on this one. Chuck Swindoll says it's literally putting coals of fire on a person's head who has a basket who needs coals of fire for their fire. Their fire's gone out. They need coals of fire. So they're walking down the street and people will, will donate. They will give. They will do nice things for this person. It's not a mean thing. John MacArthur says, no, you're putting something on their head that's causing their heart to be melted. Heat melts a cold heart. I don't know. The bottom line is, if someone's thirsty and they're my enemy, I'm supposed to give them something to drink. If somebody's hungry and they're my enemy, I'm supposed to feed them. I'm supposed to do nice things to mean people, and then Paul comes with a clincher. It's like that centerpiece now just goes right in. We're going to be totally different. We're going to overcome evil by doing good. Don't be overcome by this world's wickedness and evil and meanness and all the dirty things they do. Don't try to overcome that by responding with the same thing. You do good. And when you start doing good, they can't help but notice. You're so different. Matthew 5 is kicking in now. They will glorify God. You can cause the lost to glorify God by doing something so good to someone so bad that they can't help but notice. They've got something I don't have. And that's how not only do you know God, but now you're making God known. Wow. That's a ton. Fire hydrant for sure. I put in your notes a way for you to review like an inventory. Tomorrow, this evening, tomorrow, walk through it. How are you doing with this checklist? This is a checklist of do's for the believer, not suggestions. This is how God wants you living the transformed life. So I ask you this morning, when it comes to Romans 12, how have you responded to God? Have you presented yourself to him? Have you said, here am I, Lord, take me, use me? That's Romans 12. How are you responding to self? Did you listen to Rick's message? Are you saying, okay, look, it's not about me. It's not about me. And you're living a life of humility. How are you responding to your church? Are you learning your spiritual gift and then using them? How are you responding to one another? Did you look out today to see who has a need that you can now ask them if you could meet it? 
how can I help you? How are you responding to others who don't want to have anything to do with you? And how are you responding to your enemies who really would like to see you disappear? That's Romans 12. And they challenge us to the core, don't they? Let's pray. This message this morning is for Christians, but that doesn't mean that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, we don't have something for you. Please know Jesus did go to the cross and die for you, rose again. And this very day, you can have eternal life. You can call on him for the gift of salvation. Jesus died, was buried, rose again. We call that the gospel. And today, if you will call on him, he will save you. If you're here, not saved, come see us. If you're online and you know right now, I've never been born again, you could email us or call us. We'd love to talk with you. Today, you can ask the Lord Jesus to be your Savior and have the hope of eternal life. Inventory time, Christian. How well are you living out Romans 12? Just a moment, our, choir, our, our praise and worship will lead us, but I want to give you just that moment. Lord, I may have heard something today that I wish I hadn't heard, but I needed to hear. As I heard different things said, I realized I'm not living that way, but I want to live differently. I want to live like Christ. Say that to the Lord. And Father, I can't thank you enough for Psalms 23 and Colossians 3, John 3. But Father, thank you for having the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to write Romans 12. What a call to action. After all you've done for us in saving us, you paid it all. All we can say now is all to you we owe. Help us to live out. Help us to live out these principles. May we look so different People will say, you're living an unordinary life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.